Recently, some friends of ours went on a family vacation, and as they were preparing to go on this family vacation, one of their kids started asking about, you know, where are we going to stay? What's it going to be like? And so the parents went online, and they found the place where they were going to stay, and they showed them the pictures. But this website actually had a blueprint floor plan that they were able to print out, and they printed it out, and they gave it to their seven-year-old, who, who spent like a week walking around the house staring and studying this floor plan, because they wanted to know what to expect when they went away. And as they had that floor plan, they began to envision, you know, this is where we're going to sleep, and this is where we're going to eat, and this is the door that we're even going to take that takes us to the beach. And as they looked at this, and they, they envisioned it, and they, they started to imagine the fun that they were going to be able to have as a family. And that came as she began to understand what to expect. She needed to know what to expect for her to be able to really anticipate the fun that was going to come her way. Now, on the one hand, this is just kind of a really cute story, right? Uh, But on the other hand, if we think about it, many of us are likewise people who, who need to know what to expect, at least in some ways. It's the reason why when we go to place an order on Amazon, we spend time reading the comments and the ratings and the reviews and the questions and the answers to try to figure out if that one purchase is going to work for us in our particular situation. Or when, we, when we're thinking about going to a new restaurant, for example, a restaurant we've never been to before, we might go online and check out the reviews because it, we want to know what to expect to, a, to some degree because as we, you know, a, a little bit of certainty can help us ease our anxieties about something new and can enable us to be able to fully experience something and enjoy something that, you know, if it's just full of uncertainty and there's a whole bunch of things that we aren't sure what to, when we aren't sure what to expect, maybe we're just a little bit uptight and we're not able to kind of enter into that moment. I think this could be true in many areas of our lives, including our, our practice of our faith and our spirituality. That, well, of course, we can appreciate, hey, it's impossible for us to know everything about everything, any, everything. We can't know all things. That there are some things that we would just really appreciate having some insights. Because knowing a little bit about what to expect can be really helpful and can actually help us engage our practice of our faith and our spirituality a little bit more fully and be fully present in those moments. And for some folks, one of the questions that, that is a, like one of the sources of uncertainty, one of the questions that we might ask is, what happens to me when I die? And so we're going to kind of look at that a bit this morning. And this is like admittedly, I'm going to say this a few times, this is a really big conversation, okay? And a conversation like this can go in a whole bunch of different directions and we can have opinions and, con- and conviction and a whole lot of emotion attached to it. Um, We could go a whole lot of different directions as we look to answer a question like this, but this morning we're going to look at how the events of Easter help us understand what happens to Jesus' followers when we die. And so this is a part of our Easter series as we reflect on how Easter helps us understand, uh, you know, life. We talked about um, regrets a few weeks ago. Last week we talked about Jesus' relationship to the women disciples, Mary Magdalene in particular, and how the Easter story kind of, like Mary Magdalene's story kind of ties in with the Easter story. This morning we're going to be looking at how the events of Easter help us understand what happens to Jesus' followers when we die. And my goal this morning is to not answer every question, okay? So I'm letting myself off the hook on this because it's not possible, okay? The Bible doesn't give us every detail to, to this, to the questions that we might have about this. 
But I'm do, I am hoping that the events of Easter can help us understand a few things, and an understanding a few things that might help us to be more open to other things as we practice our faith. Because here's the thing, as followers of, uh, being a follower of Jesus is about so much more than what happens to us when we die. Jesus does not invite us to be his followers uh, to huddle up and, and wait to escape this reality. That's not what he's inviting us to. Instead, he invites us to join in his mission to bring the life and love of the kingdom into this reality in how we work, in how we play, in the relationships that we have with others. But I do understand that as we maybe reflect on our own mortality or we reflect on, on the, just our own life experience, that this, might be, that this might be one of those questions that understanding a little bit more about might help us uh, engage in what Jesus is calling us to. And so that's, that's what we're going to talk a bit about this morning. Now, you might be wondering why there's a baseball sitting up here on the podium. And if you're up close, you might be wondering... Is that stand that's baseball on, made out of Lego? And the answer is yes. 30 years ago, we made this stand to hold this baseball, and here it stands today. It is a testimony to Lego. Uh, but 30-some-odd years ago, because I now can start stories that say 30-some-odd years ago, I weaseled my way into a baseball game that I was not supposed to attend. My, my dad's mother had tickets from the Nursing Association of Ontario or something like that to watch a baseball game at the Exhibition Stadium in Toronto, the Blue Jays. And it was, uh, we were just remembering this, that there was the second last seats on the bleacher side where if you hung over the edge, you stared at the parking lot and everybody's parents whose kids were hanging over the edge were having heart attacks. But that's where we were sitting. And I, but I wasn't supposed to go to this game. This game was supposed to be for my dad and his siblings and my grandma. It was supposed to be for them. But I found out they were going to this game, and through some level of whining, complaining, subtle hints, I managed to get myself an extra ticket to this game. Because, you know what? I didn't want to get left out. I didn't want to get left behind. I wanted to be a part of what was going on. And you know what? This fear of being left out, this fear of being left behind can be a part of our, uh, our anxiety, a part of the uncertainty about what, ha what is life going to be like after we die? What, is life, what happens to us when we die? And I think as Jesus talks to his disciples in John chapter 14, what he says to his disciples there can help us. Because in John chapter 13, Jesus is prepping his disciples for what life is going to be like when he's gone. He's telling them, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised to life, and then I'm going away. I'm going to go be with the Father. And his disciples are rightfully a little bit concerned. I mean, they've invested so much of their time, their energy, their identity in being with Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, okay, guys, I'm going to leave. And so Jesus needs to assure them that he's not going to forget them. And so for followers of Jesus, we can trust that we will not be forgotten. And that's the first point that we're going to examine this morning. And so we're going to start by reading a few verses from John chapter 14. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, and you, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, what Jesus is doing in these verses is he is responding to the uncertainty and the fear of the disciples by by painting a picture of peace and stability for them. And as Jesus speaks, it should be clear that he is not going away to forget about them. Rather, there's a purpose to his coming absence. That in going away, he's going to bring about something good for them. Something that they're going to want. Something that they're going to enjoy. See, through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus is securing their future and will win eternal life for his followers. And so this new house that he is building or he is preparing is within God's creation. And this is what Jesus is preparing. Something, a space for them within God's new creation. And there they will meet again. And there's going to be room enough for everyone. Nobody's going to get left out. There's space. Now, we don't get the details of what this place will be like exactly. We don't know what the room will be like. We don't know what the house will be like. And you know what? That's besides the point. The big idea is that Jesus' followers are not forgotten. Rather, there is anticipation that one day there will be a reunion with Jesus. Now, we can't read this passage without also hearing the honesty of Thomas, who's the grumpy realist in the group, who basically is like, okay, Jesus, like, you say you, we know, where we're, you know the way to where we're going, but do we really know where we're going? To which Jesus tells him, that the way to this place is found in relationship to Jesus. Now, this is a passage that you might have heard at a funeral at some point, and I think we can understand why. Because when we are facing death, there is a sense of uncertainty. You know, it's a place we haven't been before, and we don't know what will come next, and we don't know people who have been there and come back and have told us what's going on. There's uncertainty with death. And yet, what this passage reminds us of is that even in something that's uncertain as death, that that is not outside the planning of God. In fact, we were reminded that, that Jesus is preparing something for his people that is good. That there is more to our, uh, our existence than our experience in this life. That there is something to anticipate that is to come. And that followers of Jesus will not be forgotten in this. But rather, we can anticipate that there is space in what Jesus is building. There's space for us in what Jesus is building. You know, one of the common hopes that we hear spoken when uh, when a family is uh, anticipating the death of a loved one is that we hope that their passing will be peaceful. And that is what we pray for, that's what we hope for. But we do know in reality that's not always the case, that sometimes the process of dying is a struggle. As we read the stories of Jesus' death in the Gospels, as we read these accounts, we read about Jesus being put to death with criminals. And nothing about this process of death was peaceful. This was very much a struggle. And yet it's within this context of death being a drawn-out struggle that Jesus gives us the hope of rest on the other side of death. In Luke's Gospel, as Jesus is crucified, people, the people begin to mock him. And one of the criminals who who is being crucified with Jesus begins to mock Jesus as well. Now, we know that there's another criminal there who's also being crucified. And if we read some of the other Gospels, we would recognize that he seems to join in on mocking Jesus as well, too. But in Luke's Gospel, he he, he at some point seems to have uh, had a change of heart. 
because he acknowledges the innocence of Jesus. And he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now we don't know much, if anything, about this person. We don't know what they knew about Jesus. But the question or the, the request that he makes of Jesus, that, he, that Jesus would remember him in his kingdom, tells us that this man knew enough about Jesus to realize that death would not be the end to what Jesus was doing. And in that, in that recognition, this person seems to understand Jesus more than a lot of other people understand Jesus. That Jesus' story does not end with death. It's not going to end with death, yet there's something more. Now, a part of this exchange is about how Jesus responds to a remorseful heart. That there is no such thing as too late to have an experience with Jesus. And Jesus, in a sense, is waiting here. Even though he is in the process of dying and he's suffering himself, in this suffering moment, Jesus is waiting to receive this man. And that is a beautiful expression of who Jesus is, that even in suffering, Jesus is waiting to extend grace and love and peace and hope. Now, the word that we read as paradise, it's, a, it's originally a Persian word that means garden. And it's used in the Old Testament a few times to refer to some different gardens, most notably the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2. And the Garden of Eden represents God's goodness, God's presence, God's peace, and God's rest. And one of the interesting themes in Scripture is how Jesus is the new Adam who God is using to bring about a recreation, a redeeming of, of everything that was broken because of sin. That through Jesus, God is undoing the damage done by sin and is leading creation towards a garden-like state of peace and rest. And Jesus talks to this criminal about paradise, about this garden-like place. And in doing so, what he is doing is he is assuring this man that his immediate future is peace and rest with Jesus. You know, as we think about what to expect regarding our own lives, our own mortality, Jesus' words here to this thief on the cross uh, can give us hope. That whatever struggle we are experiencing will give way to the experience of rest with Jesus. But here's the thing. What is described here as paradise should not be understood as our final destination. Instead, N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this. Paradise here is not the final resting place of either Jesus or the man asking the question. But paradise is the interim state. The blissful garden of refreshment prior to the final destination. Again, while Jesus doesn't spell out the details of what this period will be like, it becomes a part of our story, uh, the story of hope for us as followers of Jesus, that the struggle, of, uh, the struggle and pain of this life will come to an end, and that we can what we can anticipate is rest and refreshment. Friday nights in our house uh, have become movie night for Michelle and I. After the kids go to bed, we have snacks, and the kids... Don't tell the kids that we have snacks after they go to bed, okay? We have snacks, and we, uh, seriously, don't do that. <laughs> oh, I could go on a tangent. No, okay. Don't, just, please, secret, okay? They don't want you to. Um, we watch we have snacks and movie, movie night on Friday after the kids go to bed. 
And as we try to pick the movies that we're watching, whether it's on, on Netflix or Disney+, Plus, we find ourselves watching the trailers, right, the preview, trying to figure out what is it that we want to watch. And the reason why these trailers are created is so that, you know, us as a viewer can watch something for a minute, maybe two, and get a taste of what the movie will be like. And the hope is that the trailer didn't give away the whole, all the good parts of the movie, right? But it's a, it's a taste. It's a teaser. It, it, it is something that helps us anticipate what the full movie would be like. Well, as we look at the Easter account found in Matthew's gospel, Matthew describes, uh, describes something that acts as a preview or a teaser or the trailer for what is to come. That followers of Jesus become a physical part of God's new creation. So let's look at Matthew chapter 27. Just a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 27. And when Jesus had cried out again, in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He died. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the, t- and the tombs were broke open. The bodies of many holy people had, uh, who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' Jesus's resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Matthew here is looking to underscore the impact of Jesus' death, and he records several events that follow Jesus' death. And the first is the tearing of the, of the curtain in the temple, and we've talked about that before, and we'll talk about that again at another point. But it's the second one that I want to reflect on. And I want to just do a quick poll here, okay? Last week I asked, how many people knew that there was a disciple named Bartholomew? And like four of you put your hand up, okay? How many of you remember this part of what we just read of people coming out of the grave on Jesus, around the time of Jesus' death? Slightly more than the Bartholomew question, but okay. It, it, it's one of those things that, you know, maybe we've forgotten about or we didn't hear about or it sounded a little bit odd and so we put that in the odd corner of our brains, Okay. But what Jesus is doing here is he's trying, or what Matthew is doing here is he's trying to describe the impact of what it was accomplished when Jesus died. Now, the fact that there was an earthquake and the tombs broke open, that, that was not unusual. It's not unusual for there to be earthquakes in that part of the world. And, and uh, tombs that are cut into stone, into, into the ground, they will break open when there's an earthquake. But the fact that people are coming to life and walking around after Jesus' resurrection, that's, supposed to be po- that's pointing us to God doing something that only God can do. And as one of our staff, Sarah, uh, pointed out this week, this would have been really creepy, okay? Like, 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 you, like, you, like, just picture this happening in your life. You're at home, and somebody who you are pretty sure is gone, buried, shows up for lunch, Okay, and it's kind of creepy and, you know, because we know that this is not the norm. This is not how things go. But the resurrection of these people is the teaser, it's the preview, it's the trailer to something that God is doing. That through Jesus' death and resurrection that God has defeated death and that life was springing up from the places, uh, from places of death. That life is springing up from those places of death because Jesus died and came back to life. And the reality is that that's just the beginning. 
As we look forward to what is described in in Revelation chapter 21, we read about God's new creation. We read about a new heaven and a new earth coming into being. And and the Apostle Paul talks about the resurrection of God's people complete with new bodies. There's There's a newness, a brand newness of life that is anticipated. And this is the future of followers of Jesus. That our, our destination is not some being disembodied spirits who are floating on clouds, strumming harps, eating Philadelphia cream cheese or whatever. Although I really hope Philadelphia cream cheese is in the new heaven and new earth, probably because it's so good. But that, that's not our future. Rather, our followers of Jesus become a, a part of the resurrection story by being embodied participants in what God is doing. Being embodied participants in the new creation where creation no longer groans, where, where the sting of sickness and death and sin no longer is a part of our experience, where we will work and play and rest as God intended. And the shocking image of dead people jumping into life points us towards this eventual reality. Now, I, I found it interesting over the past few months that I've heard this question, you know, what happens after we die? A few times from a few different sources. Our kids, our kids, who you're not supposed to tell about snack time and movies, okay? Our kids have asked this question at bedtime a few times over the last couple months. And it always happens right when you're hoping that they're going to fall asleep. But they've asked these questions multiple times. And this doesn't just come from children. I've, I've had this conversation with mature followers of Jesus a few times in the last couple months as well, too. It seems that regardless of the age and stage of life that we are in, that, that this is a question that many of us are looking for certainty as to what to, to expect. And so this morning what we've done is we've kind of done a big picture view as to what to expect. And to tell you the truth, I think that's all I can do for you. We don't have the exact details much more than this. I don't think the Bible gives us much more details about what to expect. I mean, are the streets literally paved with gold? I don't know. What will it look like? What will it be like? Well, there's descriptions, but are they descriptions that we're supposed to take as that's exactly how it's supposed to look? What are we going to be doing? I'm not sure. But in everything that we've discussed this morning, there's a common thread of who that does provide us with certainty. That Jesus is the one who goes and prepares a place for his followers. That Jesus is welcoming the thief on the cross into a a place of rest. That Jesus' is Jesus's resurrection is make, what makes the new creation possible. And so if we're looking for certainty on this this morning, Jesus gives us certainty about what is to come. Now again, there's a lot that we haven't touched on this morning, okay? We haven't talked about what it, would look, what it looks like when Jesus returns. We haven't looked at, talked about God's final victory. We haven't talked about what this means for those folks who, who maybe reject, reject Jesus. Uh, we haven't talked about any of that, and we could have a very long and very winding conversation about these things, and maybe we will at some point, but sometimes I feel like these are better conversations rather than sermons, but we could talk more and more about these things. But if we're looking for certainty, the events of Easter invite us to look to Jesus. That in all of the ups and downs of life, in all of the unknowns and uncertainties about what is to come, Jesus invites us to trust him. This is what he says in John chapter 14. Believe in me. Trust in me. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart. In other words, this is my character. This is who I am. Will you trust in me as the humble and gentle one? 
And so as we get to know Jesus, we are invited to follow him, the gentle and the humble one, and to trust him with our future, even if we don't have all the details sorted out. See, when it comes to the future, we might not know all the details about what, but we have everything that we need, about, need to know about the who. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you again for today. Thank you for the opportunity to, to, to worship, Lord, and to sense your presence here. And Lord, as we reflect on life, as we reflect on death, Lord, we recognize that there are a lot of emotions that come with this. Memories of people that we have loved who are no longer with us. Worries about what is to come for ourselves and for other people. Lord, this morning we we've reflected on you and your presence. And so, Lord, my prayer, our prayer this morning is that as we think about some of these big thoughts, Lord, that you would interject yourself into our thinking, that we would experience you in our moments of anxiety and uncertainty, and, Lord, that you would bring your peace and your love and even your joy, Lord. Lord Jesus, would you just help us to be so captured by who you are, by your humble and your gentle spirit, where that that just steals our attention in every way possible. In your name we pray, amen.